When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to In the Trenches, coming to you from the studio of champions, Lavert Hill and center Cesar Ruiz will stop by. We've got bacon facts. We'll break down the Iowa game. We'll talk about our trip to Champaign as we take you In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. It just drives me a lot more when I'm away. You know, that atmosphere is great. Just go out there, have fun, just trust ourselves. Keep fighting and not giving up. Just treat each week like it's our last game and everything will take care of itself. Once again, here's John Jansen. Make sure when you download In the Trenches, after you've listened to it 10 times, like, subscribe, review, let us know what you think. And we want to thank you for listening to In the Trenches, Brian Bush and I. And we also want to thank our presenting sponsor today, Family Heating, Cooling, and Electrical. I've been telling you about Family Heating, Cooling, and Electrical for the last few weeks. They've been serving Southeast Michigan for more than 50 years with three locations, Garden City, White Lake, and Madison Heights. George Klempert and his experienced staff of professionals work with each and every client to provide the best service possible. The thing I like most about family heating, cooling, and electrical is that they have done thousands of service calls and hundreds of installations over the years. And they use that knowledge to recommend the brand that works best for your home. They won't sell you something you don't want or don't need. Like I said... They have three locations to serve you. Check out their website, familyheating.com, or give them a call, 734-422-8080. Family Heating, Cooling, and Electrical. Family is not just their name. It's how they do business, and tell them John Jansen sent you. At this time, I'd like to bring in the play-by-play man for Michigan basketball, which will be coming up soon enough, Brian Bush. Wow, man, basketball mentioned before any football. You really do like me as your nutritionist, uh, is what was Monday's comment. John, I regret to inform you, you need to stop eating bacon. Uh, That is a false fact. False. Okay, fair enough. Transition into 7 from 77 then. And we'll have a bacon fact for you later as well, including... Uh, also, a great beard conversation in honor of Lovey Smith. But let's get to the business at hand first. John, you've watched the film. Now you've had a chance to, to kind of digest everything. What stood out most about the defense's performance on Saturday? Uh, when I watched the film, and, and I asked Don Brown this, and I asked Coach Harbaugh this, when they watched the film, was it as good as it looked on Saturday? And both of them said, yeah. It, you know, it, it's, it's one of those situations where we always say, hey, the, the film is never as good as you think, and it's never as bad. Well, it's wrong this time because it was as good. And this defense, Cam McGrone at middle linebacker in the speed that he plays with. Um, and and Don Brown mentioned this on Monday night with the fact that he would like to see him and Devin Bush in a race because he thinks that would be an extremely close race. Devin right now might edge him out a little bit, but that's the speed that we're looking at with Cam McGrone. And when you have that speed, now what we have to do is continue to develop his reaction. Um, and 
that's what Devin Bush did so well is he processed, processed everything and was able to make decisions at lightning speed. Sideline to sideline, getting after the quarterback, getting back in pass coverage. That's where Cam McGrone has to continue to improve, uh, but he did a great job of it. And when we look at the defensive line, and you talk about hitting the gaps they're supposed to be in, whether it was slanting left or right or, or you know, X stunts. They did exactly what they were supposed to do, beat their man up front, which is uh, an added bonus. It's not the whole goal. What they're trying to do is occupy those defensive linemen so that the linebackers, um, whether it's Cam McGrone, whether it's Jordan Glasgow, can get in there after the quarterback. And they did that. They worked together, and it was a it was beautiful to watch because when one guy would leave a gap, another guy would fill. And you just saw all of the pieces that Don Brown has built and and the way he's designed it all working together. And then when you put pressure on a quarterback like Nate Stanley, um, you've got to have good play on the back end. And we had that with Ambry Thomas, Vincent Gray, Lavert Hill, Josh Metellus. They were ball hawks. They were all over the receivers. Uh, There were times even on the, the interception by Josh Metellus, he was playing deep middle, saw, read the quarterback's eyes. He got under duress and then threw up the pass. Josh Metellus was able to get over there and make the play on the ball. That is what you want to see from a defense. And and against an offense like Iowa that's got an experienced quarterback, not just an experienced quarterback, but one that's 6'4", 250 pounds. He can see over the line of scrimmage. He can, you know, stiff arm some of those light arm tackles. They were able to gang tackle him, get after him. But You've got a guy that can make decisions at the line of scrimmage. He's a guy that that makes good decisions. He had not been intercepted yet this year, and Michigan was able to do that three times. And it just was it was a work of art. And if you want more on that, check out the Inside Michigan Football Archive on the podcast uh, rundown. We had that from Monday night. Great conversation John had with Don Brown, with Khalid Hudson, and obviously Coach Harbaugh raved about the defense as well. Coach Harbaugh, John, also said the offense is hitting its stride he thinks it's close and that's gotten a lot of run externally as how can you think that where do you feel like this team still needs improvement and and do you agree that it is getting close it is close to hitting its stride it's getting close and we need to see it on Saturdays I see it at times in practice I see it a lot of times in practice Um, and it's timing it's it's fits with the offensive line and the backs being patient when that's one of the things that is first to go especially with young running backs is the patience of letting a block set up and then hit making your decision on on where to make your cut Um, if they're just a little bit more patient in the backfield on game day that will help if we just get a little bit more movement up front and that's that's delivering a blow it's following with your feet it's moving those defensive linemen off the off the ball and then in pass protection it's just keeping Shea Patterson safe and when they do that we've seen Shea Patterson do a great job of distributing the football uh, when he's under pressure he's you know he's taken some hits this year and that has to stop this and, and and we'll get into it more in just a little bit but Illinois is good at putting pressure on the quarterback they have 15 sacks um, averaging three a game so Michigan needs to be able to defend and protect Shea Patterson continue to open holes and then it just comes down to believing in the system believing and feeling the rhythm of this offense offense. Again, Josh Gaddis being on the sidelines, he can talk to these guys. And there was an example um, early in the first half where Michigan had to settle for a field goal on their second drive. Um, Nico Collins had to get four yards for a first down. He ran a, a, a route that was just shy of that, was tackled, and it became fourth down, and they had to kick the field goal. Before he even got off the field, Josh Gaddis was telling him, hey, you know what the down and distance is. You've got to get you know first yardage down and distance so that we can convert that. It would have been there if he had just caught the ball a half yard further. It would have been a first down, and maybe Michigan scores another touchdown. So that's how close – this offense is to putting up more points. We just have to see it, and the guys have to understand the concepts of the plays. Number three on today's seven from 77. In talking throughout the broadcast, Jim and Dan mentioned this. You and I talked about it at halftime. We didn't really feel like 10-3 was going to get it done, and it ended up working because of how great the defense was. Part of the reason why it stayed 10-3 were some special teams issues. Michigan didn't have a great special teams performance on Saturday. First time in a while we've really said that 
Uh, what did you notice from a special teams perspective uh, on Saturday? Well, for one, it's consistency in the kick game, and and that's Will Hart um, with his punts and location of the punts, and he's been very good. I think right now he's ranked second nationally um, in terms of of you know net yardage and what he's doing. So that was not the typical Will Hart. It's also being consistent in kicking field goals, whether it's Jake Moody uh, or it's Quinn Nordine. Now, I know you know Quinn hit the first 58-yard field goal. It was a timeout. It didn't count. came back. There was a little bit of a mishandle on the snap, and it threw off the timing. But those are important points. You go into halftime up 13-3. It's a two-score game in the fourth quarter. If you can capitalize on that drive that Michigan put together to get down in scoring in scoring range and field goal range, Jake Moody missed the field goal, and I think he only missed it by about two inches. Doesn't matter if he missed it by two or 20. It's it's not good, and you've got to be able to make that a two-score game, especially with the way Iowa was, was starting to get a rhythm on offense, and you never know with a quarterback like Nate Stanley. Donovan Peoples-Jones had a great return. And then it got soiled by the fact that, you know, he laid it on the ground. Fortunately, we recovered it, but you can't do that. And then it, in coverage, and I said this in my pregame keys, it was about coverage. And Iowa wasn't a team that had been extremely good in returning kicks. But if you get out of your rush lanes, and that's just a that's a missed assignment. It's a lack of discipline. Don't get out of your rush lanes. Make sure you stay in them and that you keep a team that has not had success in returning field or returning kicks or punts you keep them pinned down that is what we need to see against Illinois it needs to improve number four I know when you were a player this isn't really something that would come into mind but obviously this is a podcast for Michigan fans and I found it was interesting so Michigan loses to Wisconsin a few weeks back and obviously gets a ton of criticism people questioning the program blah 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 then they beat Rutgers we all knew they weren't going to get any credit for that but then you take down an undefeated Really good program in Iowa. Yes, it wasn't the prettiest game. I think we'd all agree with that, especially offensively. But there was nothing. It seemed like people were still saying, well, this team, this program isn't going to get there. It's not going to be able to beat these teams down the road. I just want your reaction to that because it has been a common discussion amongst the fan base. Is oh, So my, my initial discussion is, is that the Michigan football team that is going to win a championship? Not on every Saturday, but it was good enough against Iowa, and that was the opponent on Saturday. Was you know, and people will say, well, that effort wasn't good enough, or that performance wasn't good enough to beat Penn State or um, Michigan State or Ohio State. Well, we weren't playing Michigan State, Penn State, or Ohio State. Our effort was good enough, and the game plan was good enough to beat Iowa. This week, we've got to we got to figure out how to beat Illinois. Then we have to figure out how to go to State College and beat Penn State. This team will continue to improve. When you look at what Michigan was able to do offensively early on, they were explosive. That's what the fans want to see. They need to see more of that. We all need to see more of that. And when we do um, against Illinois, against Penn State, you will see an offense that is hitting its stride at the right time. Uh, yes, would we have liked to have seen against Middle Tennessee six touchdowns and uh, you know three interceptions and a, a, a total blowout against Army, against Wisconsin? Sure, that's not that's not what happened. All right, this is a team that and. Dan Deardorff brought this up a couple weeks ago. Coach Harbaugh has used this term in regards to players as an ascending talent. We've seen that with Ronnie Bell. We're seeing it with Dax Hill. We're seeing it with Mike Sanristil, who got his first catch this past week. This is a team that is an ascending team. They beat Rutgers. They got some confidence. They go and they beat a number 14 ranked Iowa, a team that was ranked higher than him at home. All right. You can't. Just put somebody on the road, um, you know, and rank them higher and say, okay, this is the week we want to do it. You got to take them one at a time. Last week, Iowa. This week, Illinois. And we'll cons- we'll worry about what happens after that. But we are going to beat Illinois, and that is the task at hand. Number five, speaking of the task at hand, Illinois this week. Give us your broad thoughts on the Illini and what they bring to the table. Illinois is a team that started off with two wins against Akron and UConn. Then they lost to Eastern Michigan. They lost a tough battle in Nebraska, but put up 38 points. And then Minnesota was was a game where Brandon Peters got hurt. They've had some injuries. The defense hasn't played the way it's supposed to play, but it's a team that, that can score some points. Minnesota, over the last two weeks, has allowed over 300 yards rushing. That works to the advantage of Michigan, who is is bound and determined 
to get some confidence and get some uh, you know consistency in that run game. You can do that against Illinois. Their offense um, with Brandon Peters um, has become an explosive offense. He's he's been able to deliver the ball. They've got some talent at receiver, but they have one of the best running backs in the Big Ten in Reggie Corbin, thousand yard rusher last year, the first back that's that's done that since Mikel Lashore. He's a guy that you know Michigan has to identify when he's on the field, where he's at. They'll line him up in a number of different positions. So there are some challenges, and and I already mentioned the ones on defense. This is a team that has gotten after the quarterback um you know 15 sacks so far they have been extremely good in turnover creating turnovers and and most of those have come because they're an aggressive style of defense i think it's eight forced fumbles that they've recovered so our running backs quarterbacks receivers anybody with the ball in their hands has to be secure and know that hey after the first hit gets there the next guy that comes is going to be punching out that ball is going to try and put a helmet on the ball is going to try and rip it out so make sure you secure the football that's what michigan has to be concerned with going into champaign Number six then, John, you alluded to some of this, but I think we all think Michigan's going to win the game. But Michigan, to win it convincingly, to win it in a way that will give folks optimism heading into these really tough games against Penn State and Notre Dame coming up, Michigan will win convincingly if? If they control the line of scrimmage. And that's on both sides of the ball. If they stop Reggie Corbin, they stop the rushing attack of Illinois, they will struggle. You make them one-dimensional, they will struggle to move the ball. And I like, we saw it last week, whoever the quarterback is, if Brandon Peters not there, um, you know, I I like the fact that, hey, our guys can cover one-on-one. We've seen some young players step up and play. They'll pick some passes off. If we control the line of scrimmage on offense, we will generate a rushing attack. We will be able to throw the ball because Shea Patterson will be protected. If Michigan will just dominate the line of scrimmage, and that's what everybody wants to see. They will win this game, and they will win it convincingly. All right, John, that's all the business stuff. Let's have a little bit of fun. We've talked about it on the pregame show, sometimes on the podcast. Lovey Smith's beard's amazing. It's awesome. But is it a top five beard? We have both compiled our top five beards. We don't really have a whole lot of I guess, groundwork on this other than it's got to be somebody that people would recognize or at least be able to easily Google. So, John, before we get into the top fives, who are the ones you're really close to putting on there, your honorable mention? Oh, I've got I've got two that, that are classics, and it's Clint Eastwood, most specifically in the good, bad, and ugly. His beard is just, it's a thing of beauty, and, and the music, everything that goes with it, one of my favorite movies of all time, I think it's just terrific, but when you think about the spaghetti westerns and Clint Eastwood, you just think about that just great beard that he had, and then Sean Connery, James Bond, mm, I mean, yeah. who wouldn't want a Sean Connery beard? I mean, that's just, it's it's terrific uh you know and, and what was it the rock uh, one of the last movies that uh, that i've seen him in i know he's been in a couple but um you know just a distinguished individual to go along with the accent i thought it was just a magnificent beard all right fair enough uh, any honor any honorable mentions for you brian I, I had a few uh big nick offerman fan uh it's great beard great beard uh santa claus santa claus should be thrown into this does a heck of a job uh, who else? Chuck Norris also. Nice dignified beard. Um, so nothing crazy, but yeah, those are my three honorable mention. All right, you want to go each back and forth with five? Yeah, let's let's start with five, and we'll work our way down. Right. I'm gonna start with one of your honorable mentions, and I'm I'm curious as to see to you know hear who you think has a better beard than Chuck Norris, because it's just I mean any Chuck Norris can do anything, and he can do anything with that beard. See, I think with Chuck Norris, the problem was it's I went for really outrageous beards. He's got a good beard, but it's nothing crazy. He does a lot of crazier things than a beard. He does, but he's got a magnificent beard. Yeah, he does. My number five is Bradley Cooper. Uh, I get it, man. I get it. He's he's a good looking dude. You know what? I think our lists are going to be extremely different. I mean, I, we just had a same honorable mention as your number five. He just missed. Who's your number four? Okay, my number four. And and I know that uh, you're not a TV show guy. You're not a guy that um, you may not know this name. And I'll give you his 
his real name first, and that's Dan Haggerty, better known as Grizzly Adams, mm, okay. the uh, the individual who was wrongly accused, escaped into the woods, uh, lived and, and found a, an injured bear, uh, nurtured him back to health, became his best friend, lived in the woods, and then when he was found, I think it was in 1974, NBC came out with a, uh, a series finale. He was uh, he was found by a bounty hunter and then uh, uh, proved his innocence. So. Grizzly Adams, a phenomenal outdoors man living off the land, tremendous beard. I don't know how he groomed it out there, but it was always spectacular, is my number four. My number four, Mr. T. I mean, that's a good one. Wow, that's from Tim Allen. Too low. Okay. All right. I like it. All right. Number three. Number three, one of the best beards in the history of country music, and that is the one and only gambler, Kenny Rogers. (laughs) When you think about his beard and you listen to his music, I mean, just, it's just, it, it, Puts a smile on your face, makes you feel like you're, you know, one of his friends. And you just, if you, if I ever had a chance to meet Kenny Rogers, it kind of feel like you just know him, right? For sure. No, I'm with you on that. All right. Number three for me is a little bit of a stretch in terms of famous, but I think it's the best football beard I've ever seen. You remember Brett Kiesel, that defensive lineman with the Steelers? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That is phenomenal there should be a helmet for his beard when he was at the peak of his powers with his beard and I think since he's retired he's trimmed it up a little bit but the mustache was overlapping into the front of the beard it was phenomenal so do you like the beard helmet off on the sidelines with the in the in in December with the steam coming off his head or are you a helmet on chin strap under the beard you just see the hair sticking out I want I, you got to be able to notice the beard anybody who has a beard who you can't notice it through the football helmet not really a great sports beard you know like I mean if James Harden played football you'd see that beard through it he didn't make my list but yeah but that's somebody where if it's popping out kind of like Troy Palomalu's hair like give me that that's great uh yes I agree I agree my number two Mr. T yeah B.A. Baracus uh in the A-team Clubber Lang in uh uh Rocky just a tremendous beard and and in combination with a tremendous haircut. I mean, the mohawk, Mr. T, the beard, all together, number two on the John Jansen all-time beards list. All right. My number two, going way old school, because I think there's a level of difficulty with this one. Abraham Lincoln. That dude could pull off a beard in the 1800s. Yep, yep. The beard with no mustache. Mm. Uh, And the hat, let's go. Oh, yeah. Very, very recognizable. And uh, my number one is probably the most recognizable beard in the world in all of history. You mentioned him as an honorable mention, which it hurts. It it really kind of hurts my heart that you didn't put him in your top five or even as your number one. And that's Santa Claus. I remember as a little John sitting on Santa Claus's lap and looking at his beard and thinking, I want one of those someday. I can't grow a beard like that, but every time I go through the mall or I see Santa Claus or he stops in my living room and I enjoy some cookies and some chicken wings and maybe a cold beverage with Santa on Christmas Eve, I think to myself, damn, that's a good beard. You know, it's so funny because I was talking about this list with my girlfriend last night because we both took this very, very seriously. Oh, yeah. And... I wanted to say Santa Claus, and she brought it down. She <sighs> took it down, and I'm so disappointed. We almost had a, a, the same. I think I had him at number two, but then I did a little bit of digging. We did a little bit of conversation. Might be a deal breaker. <laughs> <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. Correct. You're right. Uh, Jeff Bridges. I just recently saw Big mm-hmm. Lebowski for the first time. Yes. And that is a phenomenal beard, and that will be my number one. But I'm glad that we were both at least on the same lines, and I clearly am too easily taken off my 
opinions, uh, which maybe is a deal breaker for her. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> well, you know what, Jeff Bridges, and and being that you're a bowler, and we established that last week, we've established it before, but we we brought it back to consciousness. I'm surprised that you just saw the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Again, we we talked about this a little bit before. I'm not great with movies. The dude. I, I know he is the dude. Uh, love the movie. I just I don't watch movies very often. I don't know what it is. I want to like them, but then I start watching a movie, and it's I, I, I honestly I'd rather just watch a sporting event. Well, I tell you what, um, this is very similar to a sporting event. So when you get up to Ann Arbor, we will uh, we'll make a list of must sees, and mm-hmm. I think we'll start off with the new Rambo. Got it. I have not uh, seen that. I need to see that. Have you seen all the other Rambos? No. Oh, Brian. We could go all day. It's embarrassing. I will. I think admit. it'll be a a Rambo marathon uh, because you know what Sly, Sly Stallone is. I don't know what is he seventy years old, and he still plays a great Rambo. I can't wait to see that one with you. All right, man. Let's do it. Uh, also, today's bacon fact for you. Earlier this decade, a survey was conducted by Smithfield. I have no idea what that is, but I'm sure it's very reputable. 65% of the people asked said that they would support bacon as the United States national food. Here's my question. 35%, what's up with you? Um, they It was only 35%? No, 65 said yes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it was a majority, but I a mean, majority. I mean, how many people are vegetarians? I'll, I'll give them the pass. So 5%, come on, 95%, let's go. So Brian, I, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the grocery store and I want you to look at the brands that uh, of of those that make bacon and then come back and let me know if you know what Smithfield is. Uh, well, that's that's all I'm going to tell you. Just a little homework between now and next week. But yes, 65% of the people, and this is a democracy, we win. Bacon lovers across America have decided that bacon is the national food. <laughs> there's no electoral college there's no. no politics involved we don't have to worry about impeaching bacon it is all about the yumminess and Here. you cannot get away from that fact and the bacon fat the just <laughs> everything that is so good about bacon i wish that i could grow a santa claus beard because when you bite into the bacon and it drips down just a little bit it gets in your beard i mean it's just it you could you could have bacon and bacon flavor all day long. I think so. Smithfield isn't a survey. I think. Oh, it's wow. Okay, yeah. No wonder. No wonder they probably got a, a good vote. That was a good group to to vote. They probably <laughs> sought out some uh, <laughs> some supportive. Maybe they just sent out a mailer of all those people who actually bought the bacon. All right, good job. That's a heady play. Mm-hmm. All right, John. Uh, is Lovey the number one in college football? Lovey's definitely number one in in the Big Ten because trying to think he might be the only one with a beard in the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, and does, does your boy PJ Fleck doesn't he have a beard? Or- uh, PJ, yeah. If it is, it's elite. Um, but uh, I tell you what, we've got a couple elite interviews since we don't play Minnesota, we don't get the chance to to uh, play for the Brown Jug, which we own. We will talk to center Cesar Ruiz, who'll give us an update on the offensive line, as well as Lavert Hill, who's coming off an interception and a tremendous performance against Iowa. We'll find out where they're at uh, in their college football careers this season, as well as a look ahead to Illinois. Enjoy the listen. Cesar Ruiz joins us on In the Trenches. Um, Cesar, we're about halfway through the season. Um, Where would you put this offensive line right now and and what you guys have been able to accomplish and and what more is still out there for you guys to do? Um, A lot. A lot is still out there for us. Um, You know, like I said, like I always say, we're never going to be where we want to be. You know, we're working to perfection. Um, You know, we're working to be the best offensive line in the country, you know, regardless of what other people say or what goes on outside of the trenches. You know, we understand what we got to do and we always got each other's back. So. Uh, right now, I feel like we're doing. I mean, we're doing a pretty good job, but uh, you know, we can always do better, and uh, you know, always move up. When you look at you know what you guys were able to do against Rutgers, um, what you guys did you know earlier in the season in terms of rushing the ball, when you face some of these 
bigger teams. Um, and, you know, in a couple of weeks it'll be Penn State. And we don't need to talk about Penn State yet, but what do you guys need to do or what are some of the challenges in getting this run game going? Is it just simply that it's different because you guys aren't huddling and you're making calls at the line of scrimmage? What are some of the challenges you guys are facing? Um, uh, really for us it's just, um, you know, I think I think uh, the RPO thing uh, plays a f- plays a part in it. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, um, you know, a run play also have a pass option on it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we'll never know when the when the pass will be thrown or when the run will be thrown. Uh, but I mean, really for us, it's just you know, once a, a strictly a, a run play is called, you know, a design run play is called. I mean, we're executing it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why when you see those big runs, you know, those big hits, those design run plays, you know. Um, so, you know, really when we had those plays that are designed for us, you know, to hand the ball off 100%, it's, uh, you know, we always normally have big hits or, um, you know, get some yardage. How much different is this offense for you um, as a center? Because I know uh, all the centers that I've ever played with, and I was always in a huddle-up type of offense. You know, they'd break. They would, as our, on our way to the line of scrimmage, they'd be calling out different things, and, and we'd be communicating. Now you guys start at the line of scrimmage. So... The tempo of play is picked up a little bit. Your guys aren't huddling. What's the challenge from the center position in operating in this offense? Um, really, it's uh, it's actually a lot easier for me. Um, you know, I get one quick signal and I already know what play it is and you know what goes into it. Um, just one thing is just um, waiting for everyone else to get their signals because our signals are so quick and you know other people, the other positions have you know different things to look at. Um, it's just really me just. You know, making sure everybody has all their signals before I make all of my calls. Most of the the snaps, or at least the high majority of them, have been shotgun snaps. Um, in regards to whether you're pulling or whether you're blocking, is it, does it is it a little bit easier that you don't have to make contact with the quarterback? You just flip it back there, and and you can get your hand up to block a little faster. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, especially in, when it when it comes to like outside zones or pulling mm-hmm. or you know screens or anything. Um, you know, being in shotgun is a lot easier. Um, you know, being under center was um, was a uh, wasn't wasn't really a challenge. It was, you know, it was actually simple too. But in uh, being a shotgun, you know, I'm so comfortable with it. I've been doing it for so long that, um, you know, it's just it makes things a lot more easier and a lot more comfortable for me. What's it like for the offensive line to have Coach Gaddis on the field? We heard from Nico Collins last week the energy and stuff that he brought. But from your perspective, from an offensive lineman's perspective, what's it like having him down there? Same same thing. You know, having the energy, having the Offensive coordinator, the guys calling the plays, you know, talking to the entire offense, uh, you know, as a whole. Um, you know, having him there, just, you know, make sure everybody's good, make sure everybody's ready. You know, he'll throw a, a few couple words in there, you know, to get us ready for the drive. And, you know, it's just good to have him out there. That energy, that positive that positive energy is just great. I know it's easier for Shea Patterson, obviously, when he comes to the sideline to be able to talk to him. Is it also easier for you to be able to go over and, and, and grab him and say, hey, I'm seeing this or I've got a question about this? Um, really, I just talked to uh, Coach Warner about it. Uh, if I see something, you know, and they'll relate the message to each other. Um, yeah, so whatever I see, I tell him, and they'll relate the message to each other. Um, you know, you mentioned Coach Warner. This is the second season um, with him. How has he helped your game? Um, I mean, he's helped. He's helped my game uh, improve a lot. Uh, you know, uh, some people call it nitpicking, but uh, you know, just him focusing, having me focus on the little things that I need to fix in order to, uh, you know, make sure I'm that. You know, I'm playing at a really high level. Um, so, you know, he's making me focus on, you know, the little things and, um, you know, really harping on that a lot. That way, you know, I'm close to perfection as possible. Is that a big difference between year one and year two with him? As last year, it's it's a lot of concepts. It's a lot of, uh, you know, bigger technique things. And now it's hand placement, hat placement, pad level, some of those things. And you're kind of like, you know, come on, coach. I'm, I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I've always learned, you know, you can never, you never be perfect because once you – once you think you're perfect, you, you become satisfied, you know. So that's one thing that, um, you know, he really he really harps on a lot. He'll tell you good job, you know, he'll tell you good job when it's a really good job. But also, when you think you did a good job, you know, he'll let you know, like, you got to fix this, you know. How much do you guys look forward to – I know it's fun to play on the road, and I, I mean, at home, but I always used to like to play on the road too because it seems like the world's against you and you get a chance to go out there. Does that does that excite you? Yeah, I, I love playing on the road. I, I love it. I just love, like, just looking at the opposing team's fans and just looking at how hyped they are in the beginning of the game and just looking at their face at the end of the game. It's just – it's just it's just something – it just – 
I don't know, it just drives me a lot more when I'm away. You know, that atmosphere is great. You know, people say you feel pressure. You know, I don't really feel any pressure away. It's actually, I love those atmospheres. That's why, you know, that's why I love the most. Big win against Iowa. Um, How does that propel you guys to the rest of the schedule? I know we've got Illinois this weekend, and you don't need to talk about it. I'll talk about it. we got Penn State, Notre Dame following that. How does that help prepare you guys for the games to come? Um, You know, that was uh, allowed us to show what we really can do. Um, you know, it was a tight game, of course, um, but it really, it really allowed us to see where we really were at against a really good defense, um, and it really, it really allowed us to um, to see how tough we were. You know, um, was anybody going to give in? No, um, nobody gave in. You know, everybody's kept fighting. You know, regardless of how frustrating it was, you know, to not, you know, put up as many points as people would want or we would like, but you know, just keep fighting and not giving up. I mean, that's the positive results you're going to get. Um, what's it like playing with that veteran offensive line? I mean, you've got Ben to the left of you. You guys, you know, two years together now, um, three years on an offensive line. But, you know, you got Mike next to you. you got John next to you. You've got a veteran group. Um, what does it allow you guys to do, and how does it improve the communication on the field? It's great. We have – I mean, we had that chemistry already, um, you know, from, from what, last year um, when we first were a group together. Uh, you know, that communication, we started to build that chemistry and, uh, you know, it just carried over and advanced, you know, into this year. I mean, um, there's there's times where I don't even have to say anything sometimes, you know, they already know or, you know, just those little conversations on the field. Hey, what do you see? What are you seeing? You know, that's one thing that I realized we've been uh, we're doing different this year. Uh, those little. You know, those short little tips that we're giving each other on the field, like, hey, this is happening, this is happening right now. In Champaign this weekend, um, I know Brandon Peters got a little dinged up last week. We don't know if we'll see him or not, but, um, and, you know, throughout college football, you guys play against, you know, guys you played against in college, obviously coming from IMG. You got a lot of guys at schools that you play against, but, you know, playing against the guy that was here at Michigan, um, it, will it seem a little bit awkward? Yeah, it, 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 it'll seem a little weird because, you know, me, I was really close with BP, you know, me and him, was, I was, we was really good friends, you know, that was my guy. So, you know, seeing him in a whole other uniform and a whole other team, you know, playing against it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be kind of like, you know, weird seeing it, but, you know, I'm just just glad he's doing good. Have, have you talked to him? Uh, I haven't, I've talked to him once since he's uh, since he's been there. Well, and, it, you know, what, what What was the conversation like? Because you guys knew the matchup was coming. Will you talk to him this week before you go down? Uh, nah, I'm going to just let it. I'm going to just let it ride out. <laughs> you know, I'm going to just let it ride out. Well, sees. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and last thing before I let you go, um, you know, what are some of the goals that now that we are, you know, right about halfway that you want to see this offense, this offensive line accomplish in the, in the next couple of weeks or the last half of the year? Um, I just want us to be able to showcase, you know, our, you know, all of our talent, you know, from – from the offensive line all the way to the, you know, receivers, running backs, quarterback, tight ends, you know, everybody. Um, I just want our, our talent to be showcased a lot, you know. Um, you know, last year at the offensive line, you know, we got a lot of props for running the ball really well. You know, I want to see that. Um, I want to see a lot of our receivers, you know, show those big plays and show that, you know, show their speed and show their talent and, you know, what they do. Um, and I just want us, you know, just do what we got to do, you know. Um, you know, there's no, nothing really extra that I want to see. It's just, you know, us just playing football and just doing what we're told to do. Cesar Ruiz, Michigan Football. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Lavert Hill joins us on In the Trenches. Uh, Lavert, um, I want to start by going back to last season where, you know, you had a, a choice to make, whether it was to come back for your senior year or go to the NFL. What went into making that decision and why did you eventually choose to come back to Michigan? Uh, a lot played in that decision. Uh, my parents, just uh, myself, how I think about how I played as far as in the last couple of years and just coming back and just handling just unfinished business that we had as a team and all my uh, classmates in 2016, we came back to win. So let's go. Uh, you know, you've got one of the better coaches um, who has turned out a lot of NFL guys, Mike yes, Zornich. What have you learned from him? Uh, I learned a lot just as far as in technique-wise, just being a playmaker on the field. Uh, he just – Go in and every day, just tell us to work hard every day and just go out there and have fun. Last week, you uh, you got an interception, yes, one sir. of the three that Michigan got. Um, how important was it? Or what were you seeing from Iowa that made you guys think, hey, we we might be able to pick off Nate Stanley? 
Uh, well, far as he, he's a good quarterback and he trusts his receiver, so he gonna throw the ball a lot and just the pressure that we got from our D line and our linebackers just just played just played out a lot and just helped us out. I know you guys play a lot of man defense. Yes, How important is that pressure from those from that defensive line and linebackers to allow you guys to do what you do in the secondary? Uh, it's real important because without them, we wouldn't be uh out there just ourselves. So just helping us out, just getting to the pressure, getting quarterback, it's a good asset and it's. It just, it just helped us out a lot. How has this defense progressed um, from the beginning of the year when you guys opened up against Middle Tennessee to you know the eventual win against Iowa? Uh, we just been improving each week. Just go out there, have fun, just trust ourselves, just trust our brother. We are brotherhood out there on defense, and we all we got. So we just go out there and just play every play like it's our last. When you play a game like that against Iowa, where you know it's only one yard rushing, right. um, you know you get the three interceptions, four turnovers. Uh, eight sacks, it almost looks like a perfect game. Right. When you look at it and the coaches say, we could still improve, yeah. where are some areas you can improve? Uh, just giving more effort, just getting to the ball every play, just instead of one person on a sack, just have all nine guys, all ten guys on a sack as well. Just going out there, just playing hard. When you're lining up and you're in that man coverage, yes, what's going through your mind? Uh, just do whatever you got to do to stop just stop him from catching the ball. So just go out there, just trusting your technique, and just just reading your keys, and that's about it. Uh, as a as a tackle, sometimes you feel like you're on, on an island. Yeah. Um, you got to feel that way all the time. Is yes, that sir. something that that you crave that that ability to? Hey, it's one on one. It's me or you, and you want it to obviously be you. Oh yeah, just it's man on man, just you versus him. So we just have to go out there and just trust ourselves because we're on our island like like you said so just go out there just tone on in our technique and just be a dog out there how much has that game against Wisconsin motivated you guys over the last couple of weeks uh we just I mean it motivated us a lot since we took a loss so we just, we just can't have nothing we just go out there just treat each week like it's our last game just go out there have fun play hard work hard and everything will take care of itself. You're going back on the road. How much different is it for this defense and the communication that you guys have to play on the road as opposed to home? Uh, we just go out there, our backs against the walls, just us out there. So, like I said, we just got to trust each other, just play hard, just play as a brotherhood, and we just going to go out there and get the win. What uh, What do you think is ahead for this defense? I mean, you guys come off a performance like that. Yeah. Um, you still got half the season to play. What yeah. are some of the goals you guys have? Uh, like uh, what our defense is sky's the limit. We have all the uh, key guys, key players to go out there to be no, just the number one defense. So we just go out there, work hard, and sky's the limit. Before I let you go, um, you're going to be playing. You possibly could be playing against right. Brandon Peters. What What will it be like to face off against him when you saw him every day at practice for a couple of years? Uh, he know all of us. He know what we uh, do, what we can't do. We know what he can do and what he can't do either. So it's, it's going to be a great matchup. Just to see him on the other side in another jersey is going to be pretty fun. Well, but thanks for stopping by. Oh, Best yeah, no of luck problem. this weekend. Thank you so much. Thanks to Cesar Ruiz. Thanks to LaVert Hill for joining us here on In the Trenches. Great stuff from them, as always. John, before we get out of here, a, a few players I want to touch on with you that you've talked about them with Doug on the pregame show. We've discussed them a little bit in the postgame, but some guys who have really stood out uh, either because they're young guys contributing or just guys who maybe don't show up on the box score very much. And the first one is Ambry Thomas had the interception. We all know the story about what he had to endure health-wise with colitis during the offseason. He has been a guy who really hasn't missed a step despite all of that. It's, it's really impressive. And I, I don't know if people truly understand what he's had to go through um, unless you did have that disease or something similar. Uh, what have you seen from Ambry? Because... This story, I think, is kind of flying under the radar a little bit because of the fact that it wasn't out there a ton during the flow of the offseason. Well, Ambry Thomas, for those that don't know, is, is, has battled colitis, um, and it, was, you know, it flared up uh, at the beginning of training camp was when he really first became aware that he had this and um, missed a lot of training camp. Uh, then came out and played very well against Middle Tennessee, had a fumble recovery, had an interception, did the same thing against Iowa with a fumble recovery and another interception. So uh, apparently when he does that, we can if he gets an interception first, we can plan on a fumble recovery because he does everything in twos. But he still is 
but obviously that's something he's going to battle the rest of his life. So he's still trying to figure out, hey, what can I eat? What can I do? What what flares things up? What doesn't? Um, and it's a constant battle. And when you are a tuned athlete, that becomes a monster challenge. And you've got to be uh, constant communication with doctors, with the nutritionists, with the training staff, with the coaches, um, and put that on top of everything that he has to do with football, um, with being a student uh, it's it's a tremendous burden, but one that he has accepted. He has he has taken on the challenge, and he is is definitely doing all he can to be the player that he is. And when you pair that with the fact that you are playing opposite Lavert Hill, one of the best corners in the country, you are going to get tested every game. And he has stepped up with two interceptions, as we mentioned, two fumble recoveries, played extremely well, does great in run support along with Vincent Gray, who, who shares time with him. Uh, but just a tremendous season so far for uh, Ambry Thomas. Yeah, tip of the cap to him. Uh, another guy you mentioned in post game, he didn't jump off the page on the box score on Saturday, but Carlo Kemp, he's so important to what Michigan does. Give lay people an idea of just what he means to this team. So when you're an interior defensive lineman, most of the time you're not going to get a lot of stats. You may get a, a tackle for a loss, but what your job is is to eat up as many offensive linemen as you possibly can. So guys like Cam McGrone and uh, Josh Uche and and you know Jordan Glasgow can either make the sack or make a tackle and do all those things unimpeded because – Carlo Kemp is eating up two offensive linemen, and he has done a tremendous job with that. And then you also look at last week, and and I mentioned this in the in the post game. I think it was there were times where you know because of his proximity to the center, it's going to be a one on one battle all the time, and you know the, the the center obviously knows where he's trying to go, and Iowa is is very disciplined in their offensive line play. And, and that's what they're known for. Their center would do a great job of, of putting his hat, taking steps, doing the things that he could to try and have an advantage against Carlo Kemp. And Carlo did a tremendous job of fighting through blocks, uh, making plays at the line of scrimmage, and again, eating up that center, not allowing him and double teams to get off on those linebackers. So when you fight over the nose of a center, now all of a sudden – both the guard and the center are kind of in no man's land and they're they're left trying to block Carlo Kemp and that's when you see guys like Cam McGrone get all these wonderful stats in tackles and tackles for loss and Kalik Hudson is a monster beneficiary of that he he's what 17 in the country right now in total tackles leads the team all to the fact that you've got guys like Michael Duomfor Carlo Kemp up front making all of that possible all right to some young guys and the probably most high-profile recruit coming in, true freshman Dax Hill. He, he's really starting to get some legit playing time. More special teams early on in the season, but but he's a guy now on this rotation. He is, and uh, I, I think he had a tipped ball that was uh, intercepted. And um, when you continue to make plays like that, you earn time out there. And this is the time of the year where you start to see young guys, whether it's it's Dax Hill, Hassan Haskins, Eric All. I know we're going to talk about both those guys here in a minute, but um, Dax Hill has earned the right. And one of the reasons he has done that is because he has been very good in pass coverage. His speed, whether he's playing the corner position, safety position, anywhere in the secondary of covering those crossing routes. Uh, and that's the one thing that people have talked about since Ohio State, since Florida, is is trying to cover those crossing routes. The one, the one reason why you've seen less of those over the last couple of weeks is due to the speed of Dax Hill um, and the fact that he enjoys contact. And and you got to love that out of a secondary guy. Uh, Hassan Haskins has earned more carries, um, and he's done that because he continues to earn the trust of Jay Harbaugh, the running backs coach, Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, that he's going to go in there. He can be explosive. We saw, was it a 22-yard run uh, against Rutgers? Now he's just got to learn how to finish those runs off. Instead of getting tackled at the two, let's make a better cut, get into the end zone, and he will continue to improve. Uh, and the last guy that uh, that we're going to talk about, Eric All, is 
he is a tremendous athlete. He's aggressive. He's strong. He has good football knowledge. Um, and when I was talking to some of the coaches, one of the guys that they compared him to was Ben Mason in the fact that he just loves the game of football. He enjoys contact. He enjoys the struggle that we talk about when we bring up that fielding HEO's quote uh, about enjoying your struggle. It's what makes men play football. This is going to be a special player. Number 83, keep an eye on him when he's on the field he does a great job of sticking his face in there when he's got double teams with tackles when he's got a defensive end and he's blocking them one-on-one he he does a great job of his technique of running his feet and then when you when you see him out in the open field he's got a great knack for finding the holes and sitting down and becoming open becoming available to his quarterback and that's what that's one of the things that we talked about earlier in the show of what I what I see that will make this offense better is when you guys when you have receivers and and I'll put tight ends in that category right now uh Eric All Nick Eubanks uh Sean McCune when he's back make themselves available to the quarterback and you know if I'm open you don't just stick a hand up and you you run deeper sometimes it's it's running with the quarterback if he's rolling out or it's coming back to the quarterback if you're if you're on the side where he's rolling too um it's all of those things that that I see in practice and I see in games at times has to be more consistent. And when you have young players that are doing that, it, it just it, it it gives you more opportunity to one, get on the field and then opportunity for your offense to continue to move the ball down the field. Everybody's progression is different, but you think about the type of PT that Dax, Hassan and Eric are getting here and they're not the only three, but I think they're three of the most high profile at this point. And then you think about the jump that Aiden Hutchinson has made from a freshman year where he was contributing here and there. He was getting some opportunities earned, not just for his development. It was because he was the best option in that situation. And now look where he is now as the defensive player of the week in the Big Ten. He's an impact guy. Not saying that's going to happen with all these guys, but getting the opportunity to get some of the get your feet wet as a true freshman. That's so massive in some of these guys' cases. It is, and and look for some of those other young guys to get more time, whether it's Chris Hinton, Mozzie Smith, um, just getting that experience, being on the field, understanding what it takes to be on the field. Um, as they get more reps, that, that picture will become clearer, and they will earn more and more. All right, John, thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Family Heating, Cooling, and Electrical. Check them out, familyheating.com, or give them a call at 734 422 Eighty eighty. It is Michigan and Illinois on Saturday. Uh, this is one I know that that has a little extra oomph in your household. Let's get folks pumped up for what is a big game. It, it was a must win last week against Iowa. It's a must win this week too. It's the same thing, even though it's a different opponent. It, it's a different opponent, and I will go back to this opponent. It doesn't matter who's on the field. It could be Rutgers. It could be Iowa. It could be Illinois. It could be Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State. I don't care. When you get on the field, the opponent is Michigan. If you play better than you did against Rutgers, you will beat Iowa. If you play better against Illinois than you did against Iowa, you will beat Illinois. And it goes right on down the field. So the mission this week is to go out there and play better. And in the Jansen household, there's an Illini grad. There's a father-in-law that played football at the University of Illinois. And it is extremely important that we own the dominance and we own that household. And it should always be Michigan when it comes down to it. When you get on that field, it doesn't matter what happened last week. It doesn't matter what's going to happen next week. You look across at that opponent and you know that what you have done and how you have prepared for this game is good enough. Trust your instincts. Trust your technique. Trust that Michigan will come out on top. And when you are listening to this podcast in the morning on Wednesday morning when it comes out. Listen to it again on the way home. Get yourself motivated for this trip to Champaign. And when you see your wife, you give her a little peck on the cheek. You see your husband, you do the same. Give little lovey, give little Marilyn a pat on the head. When they go to bed, you tell them, go blue. We'll talk to you next week on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network.